Carlin here of the Liberty Weekly Podcast, and welcome to the Libertarian Union, State of the Libertarian Union show, right? This is, is that the name? <laughs> this talk, is talk show. Talk show. State of the Libertarian Union talk show. It's not sluts without the talk in there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is the month of May, and we're joined by a whole bunch of members of the Libertarian Union. We got Daniel from Actual Anarchy, Kyle from Foreign Policy Focus, Nick and Liz from Sounds Like Liberty, and Stephen Clyde from the Peace and Liberty podcast. So I'm going to hand it off first to Daniel of Actual Anarchy. What's up, bud? Hey, happy to be here. I love the Libertarian Union being a member of that. So libertarianunion.com, y'all. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Um, I guess the news for us is we've branched off and done the Last Nighter show, and now that is on iTunes. So that's a podcast feed and also available on anchor.fm slash last nighters. And the cool thing about anchor is that as a listener, you can uh, send us messages that we can then incorporate into future shows. So if you have any questions or feedback, drop us a line and then we'll include that in, in the next show and, and try to respond to it. Unless it's like something ridiculous. I don't know. Try us. I, we might play it anyway. Who cares? I was going to say he had to throw a disclaimer in for me. <laughs> <laughs> all right so oh let's go to you guys sounds like liberty what's what's going on with you guys lately well uh today well yesterday when this actually posts we're gonna be posting a, an interview with guillotine a heavy metal band out of uh athens georgia that we learned about on the tom woods podcast very cool dudes um other than that just we, we said two weeks ago we introduced our uh analysis episodes yeah we're actually looking at the lyrics of songs from an ancap perspective and that's always fun it's been pretty fun yeah, yeah. um and there's a blog on our site too uh, yeah lizzie actually like started podcast keeping her blog so so cool yeah. Yeah. i hear i have it up on the screen now so for uh you. fancy thanks sounds oh, like again? sweet very sexy all right, so who's up next? Oh, What's up, y'all? I'm Stephen Clyde. I host the Peace and Liberty podcast. You can check me out at forpeaceandliberty.com. I'm doing a lot of stuff recently. I have kind of the secret project in the works with some other people. So I'll give you a little hint. I'm still going to be doing my Monday through Friday podcast, but once a week I'm going to be part of this bigger platform. I can't tell you guys about it yet. It's going to start like end of next month, but it, we're thinking it's going to be pretty big. So that's going to be my next step. Working on a book right now. Working on two books right now. Um, looking to do some more events in the future. Looking for a cameraman in Denver. That's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Just trying to spread the message of peace and liberty every day. I'll, uh, yeah, and I got the website up on the live screen. Share. Which I updated my site recently. So it looks like 10% better. Dan said it'll look gay. So that's what I was going for. Um, <laughs> it's gay as hell to me. That's what I'm talking about. It looks really cool. It looks cool. Hey, All thanks, right. man. So, so Kyle's up next. Hey, Kyle Anslone, host of the Foreign Policy Focus podcast. Big news is, is that uh, I got episodes 200 coming up, and uh, that for this coming week I'll have episode 199, 200, and 201, uh, all interviews. The first will be Anthony Samaroff of the Scottish Liberty podcast. Uh, if all goes as planned, I will be interviewing Scott Horton pretty quickly after I hop off here, and that will be episode 200, and then Mance Raider, who is the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, and my favorite uh, meme uh, Twitter account uh, will be on Friday's show talking about the war memeing, and so, you know, that that's really cool. I'm When I hit episode 100, I wasn't super excited, but 200 has been uh, really exciting for me, so 
uh, really looking forward to that. And Pat, what you got going on with your show? Yeah, yeah. Well, before that, here's here's the website at foreignpolicyfocus.libson.com. Also, your awesome, awesome immersion news site with all the links makes it really easy to follow what's going on in the world. And uh, yeah, so for me over at Liberty Weekly, I've just been plugging along, man. I just graduated law school on Sunday, last Sunday, and I've been trying to figure out how bar prep is going to work with the show because it's way more intense than I thought it would be. And that's saying something because I thought it'd be intense. But I'm just trying to incorporate that, still doing my shows at least twice a week I'm shooting for. So, uh, yeah, that's what's up. So, um, what, what were we talking about right before this? We were talking about Nick. I think I'm going to hand it off to you guys because you were talking about how you get called racist. <coughs> well, in, in so many words, uh, what it amounts to is uh, – because I am one of the one few people in here I think that is actually involved with the party politics of the Libertarian Party. Because I feel that anything that actually carries the Libertarian name should maybe carry a little bit of the principles with it. Um, and far too frequently, I just I'm I'm in these groups, and the only rebuttal that I can find that most people have is that they don't want the Tom Woods, Lou Rockwell, Mises Institute people being in the in the party because they're apparently openly alt-right and racist. There's the weirdest movement against Tom Woods and all of them just... There's an obsession with calling him a white nationalist despite all the evidence. I mean, just, just ask him. Ask him for yeah, evidence. Just, just, just look back to like the original League of the South meeting. Jeffrey freaking Tucker was the one that took Tom to the original meeting. Why is Jeffrey Tucker on the other side of this saying, like, you know, Tom's a Nazi now? Or some people say, oh, Jeff Jeffrey Tucker's changed. Well, that, that's kind of an imperative fact to consider. Uh, the fact that, you know, if, if Tom is racist, what does it say about Jeff? Tom is well, only 21 years old at the time. Jeff is way older than him. Well, here's the thing that really boggles my mind about it is that, frankly, from my perspective as a libertarian, I don't really care if he is. Does it discount the message that he has? At no point has he ever promoted racism in his message. So if he is racist, he's certainly not doing a good job of spreading it. The point is, is we don't get to decide who liberty is for. Liberty is for everybody. We may not like some of the people that's for. Obviously, I have a vested interest in people not being racist. But that's like within like the Mises caucus, it gets just absolutely confounding to me because like I'm not the only one. There's tons of us with like mixed race families in there. Like we're literally promoting a person of color for one of the positions for uh, Alex uh, Merced for vice chair. And yet people just scream like that. We're racists. I just, I, I don't, I, I don't understand it. Like, well, so they also claim that we're historical revisionist. Now, first off, all history is revisionist. It's kind of like the reason that all historians have like a little distinct version of their views. All history is revisionist. So what the hell does uh, historical revisionism mean? What does it mean? That's what I wonder. <laughs> when it's not like Tom Woods isn't a world-renowned, respected historian in and of himself outside of the politics of it. Because uh, like I was having an argument with someone on Facebook before, and I linked them a video of Tom Woods. And like in this video, it completely just crushes the arguments they were arguing against. And they didn't even watch it. They were just like, oh, Tom's a historical revisionist and a white nationalist. It's like, oh, my God. Like, no even attempt to try to make it a, a plausible lie. It's like their lies aren't even plausible. That's my big problem with it all. Yeah, it's no, crazy. It's, 
I did. There were, I can't even get lies out of them. They they won't even give me anything. It's just nope. He's a racist. Just I know it. I think I asked someone. He said if he's a racist, he's hiding it. Like, oh, he's not hiding it. Well, yeah. as a guy who married a black woman who listens to the Tom Woods show every day for the past couple of years, I, I've yet to yet to get anything out of him that seems racist. Oh, I mean, he just had Maj love on front. Yeah, he just had that guy in front of Black Lives Matter. Williams and Thomas Sowell clearly was Eric, Eric July hosted his 1,000th episode of Van. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, real racists are not afraid of being called racist, right? Like, real racists don't try and hide the fact that they're racist. Is, is, I mean, isn't that mostly right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they're usually like, yep, that's me. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're like, hey, I'm racist. I don't give a fuck. So... I'll counter that and say that most people who think they're not racist and advocate for things like affirmative action and uh, forced association, things like that, are actually being racist because they're introducing race as a component of decision making. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, as, at its base, racism is, you know, treating people differently based on the color of their skin or their perceived racial makeup. So, you know, yeah, I mean... Anyone who's setting you up to do better or worse based on the color of your skin is inherently racist. Do you guys follow uh, Tim Pool at all? Yes. Uh, did you see the episode he had this week where basically they're now accusing the smartest man on the planet of being an alt writer? Really? <laughs> yeah. He he posted about this guy because they, they decided you're the smartest guy on the planet. He's got like an IQ of like, what, 215 or something ridiculous. Like, and the guy, they asked him what he thought about identity politics. And he's like, either everyone gets it or nobody gets it. It can't, you can't have it in the middle ground. And like, oh, well, you're just a closet alt writer then. <laughs> it's a witch hunt. Well, it just seems like the labels are, are their argument. Like, they, they don't feel the need to support them because, okay, you're a racist. Well, that ends the argument. Because you're racist, but or that's, you're all right. That's exactly why it exists, is strictly to end an argument without actually having to prove anything. Right. Yeah, and more so, if you're, if you're compared to Hitler, well, you can't have a conversation with Hitler. Like, you got to kill Hitler. Right, right. I mean, you can't, so, so they make it so, like, you can't even talk to these people. And it's really, it's really interesting how they do it, because from that perspective, they don't have to listen to anything you say. They just assume it's wrong. So they never learn anything, they never absorb anything, and they just repeat their talking points. It's kind of crazy. Like if you, I, I call people stupid all the time on Facebook because I can't stand the idea that you can't think for yourself. That really bothers me if you can't think for yourself. I gotta say, <laughs> dude, you know, you've got some big brass balls the way you converse on Facebook. Oh, if you see my shit, like I, oh, I no, call I, people. I, I, I've, I don't, I've I don't, seen I don't screen caps, my, man. I, yeah, I, I, I'll call them out even if they're my friends. Like if you're being an idiot, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you you're being contradicting or like you're not making sense. I'm, yeah, I'm not afraid. No, absolutely. It's uh, it's obvious, and amen for that. Because I, I'm a, I'm a pretty okay to go out and challenge people, but I, I do have oh, my limits. So yeah, Stephen. I don't know where you find the time to do all that. It seems like you're everywhere all at once. It's amazing. I don't know, man. I drink a lot of coffee. Actor's <laughs> face was that? What was it? What was the Madeline Albright? That's who it was. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I want. I want to do that again, man. I want to like get up on stage, ask a question, be like, hey, remember me? <laughs> I don't think you make it out alive next time. Uh -oh. No, no, no. If that had happened again, man, they would have tackled me or something. <laughs> it was pretty intense just watching the videos. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, I need a little bit of whatever you're doing, Steven. I'm so tired. 
Oh, I, I'm pretty tired too. I'm like pretty maxed out on time, but I don't know. <laughs> that time management, man. I need to get better. Yeah, I want to read that thing Tom Woods sent an email like, time management skills. Well, one thing the email said was like, if you pay the $10 for that time management book, you can like take it, like put your own name on it, say you wrote it. Like he, he, he mentioned it like that. Like you can do whatever you want with it, sell it yourself. That's kind of like a, I, that's cool. <laughs> that's Tom Woods, man. That's what he does. Intellectual property stuff. So, you know, take the book, put your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've been getting into a lot of that lately, especially. I don't know if you guys have been following there. They passed the I believe, I believe it's through through now officially. Um they redid the laws for like like licensing within music. And now <laughs> they're basically they're trying to add fairness as they do in many things with the way people get paid out royalties. So Essentially, what it means is, well, we don't think artists are getting paid enough. Well, now that the government's stepping in and making it so we're going to have to pay artists more, expect Spotify and Amazon and all of your other streaming services are going to... Cost more money? Yeah, they're not going to be $10 fees anymore. I mean, you talk to most artists, they make pretty much all their money from touring. They don't really make much money on like the actual selling of the music. Well, they might sell a few CDs at the show, but like, okay, but most most of their money comes from touring and selling gear on tour. Well, it depends. I was gonna say it's actually merchandising. Touring, if you most artists, if you, um, like break even, you had a good tour. Now you really? sell merch. It, it's becoming increasingly harder to tour. Um, as of for instance, I know back as of two thousand and eight. I know it's old now. The uh, Flaming Lips actually had to sell three of their songs for commercial use just so they could tour because their tours are such big spectacle type things that they couldn't even go on tour without selling their songs to be used in commercials. Wow. <laughs> and I guess that's not, that's not a tiny band. Like it's a giant band. Yeah. But because of the people that it actually takes to maintain a legit tour, it's, it's intense. Like, I think we're going to get back more to like the um, medieval model of music where it's just very localized and no one's going to make money at it. <laughs> well, there's a lot of issues. I mean, there's no easy answer to it, but like, say like a site like Ticketmaster buys up all the tickets and hikes up the price. Now, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. I mean, I think they should be allowed to do it, but what would the market response be to that? Because on one hand, it does seem kind of shitty, like the, uh, the concert venue is offering a market price. Someone buys all the tickets and then marks it up. What would be the response to that? Well, Ticketmaster isn't actually the issue. Ticketmaster is just a, a place that facilitates the selling of the tickets for the venue. The problem is, is it's ticket brokers, and they've tried to do what they can about that, but technology keeps ahead of them. Just <laughs> you know, yeah. the, every step of the way, somebody finds a new way to steal tickets and sell them at an increase. I mean, um, I can't. I can't say I've never bought like four or five tickets for a show that I know is going to be sold out. Make like three times your money back. Go to the show. I mean, but I guess it's when you're buying like all the tickets. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like artists generally that sell out, so I like my small independent shows. Because you're a hipster. I am. It's fine. <laughs> well, you know, in a supply and demand scenario, when they're selling these tickets and they sell out and then they have scalping prices, isn't that just an indication that they understood? Yeah, the, the, the price was too low. That is absolutely correct. So no, no, nothing wrong with that. I, I think scalpers are taking entrepreneurial risk. They're putting their money out there in hopes that they can trade it later for a benefit, for a 
for a profit. And if they fail, then they lose that money. So I guess your argument would be ticket scalpers. If concert venues were actually offering the market price, they wouldn't be able to buy them and like flip them for any amount of profit. I mean, it just no one, no one would pay more than like a hundred dollars for like a small show. Or, you know, I, I guess that would be the argument. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, the argument is essentially that they're undervaluing the tickets to begin with. Like you can't scalp tickets that no one's going to pay a dollar more for anyway. <laughs> I know that. <clears throat> I know that the uh, the Grateful Dead used to do some pretty interesting things. Uh, one of my buddies says they have a, they used to have a mail order service, and they'd keep like basically any tickets for any of their shows. You'd have to go through the mail order service before they have tickets up to the general public. So basically, people would just send in <laughs> any tickets for this show, and they'd keep those separate out of the pool before they'd actually sell them. Well, I guess one pro one way they could try to solve it is okay, just make it so you can't buy a hundred tickets at once. But I don't think that would really stop scalpers. They could just have like a hundred different accounts. By well, no, and that's yeah. that's what they have done. Like you yeah. think you're literally only allowed to buy five or six tickets at a time, but that you know obviously you just set 10 computers or 10 bots to do the same crap and it doesn't make any bit of difference you're yeah, still gonna get what you're gonna get out of it yeah but but i think yeah i think daniel's right on that i mean it is about the actual market price it's you're not something you can set arbitrarily and you don't necessarily know what it's going to be when it happens unfortunately you'd have to understand a little bit of economics to realize okay yeah maybe they weren't selling it at the market price no one would jump to that conclusion it's just like scalpers are making a profit and that's bad like i'm paying more for uh concerts than i should but it was the alternative. You don't go, right? Yeah. yeah. It's important to you, the scalper's actually providing you a service. Well, there is the also the alternative. Because you have places like StubHub that all those scalpers go to when they can't sell them for the price that they think they're going to sell them for. And so you can actually get, get them under the actual price that they paid for them sometimes just because they need to recoup expenses that they didn't get. Yeah, eBay's another good place. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Was are you a scalper? I am not, but I've looked. Are you hiding all the scalping money? I, I gotta gotta get those Rufus Wainwright tickets, you know. <laughs> Ugh, terrible. So what what else we got here, folks? Yeah, let's, um, let's I've, I've, go over to Kyle. If we can kick it over to Kyle, what's up, man? Well, not too much. I, I'm just uh, you know thinking about um, you know kind of. Uh, our election in Iraq is a pretty recent event and uh gonna try to figure out more about that one. I just talked to Scott Horton today. Um one of the kind of complex things about it is a lot of these political figures that are getting elected were pretty heavily involved in the second Iraq war and uh you know, knowing what kind of war crimes they committed and stuff and what their histories they are gonna really help me to understand what's going on there right now but apparently the americans aren't too happy with the election results and so time and time again you see this we go in we impose a democracy and then the people don't elect the kind of person that we want and then we throw a fit about that it's like you know we we pretend that our wars are always you know just the essential uh, you know bringing the iraqi freedom i mean you know it was operation iraqi freedom we bring them freedom they let somebody we don't want and then we get mad and we kick the person out of power that's well, hey, Kyle, there's something I want to talk about. I just wanted to talk about this with someone forever. So I'll just start by saying I came from a Christian family, and my family thinks that, uh, you know, they say the same things that come out of the Bible, that, you know, Jews are the chosen people and that they're supposed to go back to Israel. I kind of find myself in the position where I think I'm kind of like anti-Zionism, but also anti-Islam. I just personally think, like, we shouldn't fucking fund any of it. Uh, is that a reasonable position to be, like, against both sides over there? It just seems like there's trouble with everything. That's my position. <laughs> 
Right. I, yeah. It, I mean, you could have that as an overview position that like you just don't want to like sell weapons to fund to support any of yeah. the groups over there. And I think that's like a perfectly fine moral position. I think if you actually look at the complexity of it and like try to break down like who is the actual aggressor on the Israel issue alone, uh, the Israelis are clearly the aggressors, the, the Gazans live uh, in a place where they're completely blockaded. They're completely reliant on the Israelis to allow in any kind of uh, commercial or aid cargo. The Israelis, uh, this is something that WikiLeaks revealed, is that the Israelis actually like count the calories that the people of, Pal- are, of Gaza are allowed to have Holy to make sure God. that they're not starving, but at the same time that they're unable to thrive. There's 50% unemployment yeah. in Gaza. The country or that that small portion of Israel that's known as the Gaza Strip has been bombed, yet they're not allowed to import concrete. Uh, you know, many of the men there have shown up to protest and been shot in the lower limbs or the groin and are you know now crippled for life. Yeah, it's just crazy because I think in some sense, Jews have been persecuted throughout history. That is true. So there's some type of vengeance there that a lot of the tactics they used were tactics that were used against them. I was reading this Murray Rothbard article and he was talking all about it, giving the whole history, talking about like the 700,000 plus Palestinians that were kicked off their land. Um, and you're talking, Kyle, when we did the episode about it, you're talking about how like they still have like keys to their, their old houses and like deeds. And like um, these are people who are just trying to get back to their homes. So, yeah, it's it's totally bizarre. You have two sides that they think uh, based on their religion that that's their homeland. And it's just like, I don't know if is the war ever going to stop. I don't think it will. Yeah, and I mean, as far as it goes, yeah, the Jews have faced a lot of persecution, and a lot of the movement of Jewish people to what you know is now Israel occurred because of the Holocaust and World War II and what Hitler did. But you know, if you go back to like America in the uh, you know eighteen hundreds, as we were moving the American Indians across you you know the United States of America and kicking them out of their land, well, it wouldn't have been right for them to load into boats and go to Hawaii and kill all the native people there and take all the good property there, right? I mean, just because you've been the victim of a crime doesn't give you the right to victimize somebody else. And so we could have our sympathy for the Israelis and the historical um, persecution that the Jewish people have faced. But at the same time, uh, you know, they are the occupying force of the Palestinian territories. The Palestinian people are people without representation, without a government. And any kind of fighting force they muster is called terrorism. And so what can you do? And Murray Rothbard points out that before Zionism, there was actually a movement to kind of have like an Arab, um, Israeli, you know, uh, work together kind of state versus the Zionists. They didn't want that at all. They wanted uh, they wanted Arabs off and Jews to live there. And that's it. They didn't want any compromise. So uh, the Zionist movement itself was kind of uh, coercive versus like a, a bunch of other movements before that. Hey, if I could jump in here quick. Um, Kyle, do you know how trustworthy Mint Press News is? Um. If I read something on Mint Press News, I typically Google it and I'm able to find it somewhere else. So usually it's right, but that doesn't make it um, correct. Okay. Well, I was just going to say there there was that I came across this article here of, is it, I mean, is it true that Israelis openly call for genocide against the Palestinians? I, I mean, so there's definitely people within the Israeli government that make very hawkish and anti uh, statements against the people of Gaza. I believe it's their minister of justice, uh, like said that the killing of Gazan children or uh, Gazan women is okay because the children are little snakes. At the same time, we have to remember that Ted Cruz called for turning Syria into glass, and he was talking about the genocide of the Syrian people. And so all 
politicians and hardliners make these statements. But yeah, they're they're made by the Israelis. And I think the reason this is important is that there's always the the pretense when we talk about this situation is that oh the Iranians have called for death for Israel and the uh, Hamas says that you know there should only be uh, an Arab state and not a Jewish state. It's like yeah, the hardliners of every group say extreme things that this isn't anything new or uncommon. Uh, but as far as it goes, I'm sure that those videos right there are not actual Israeli people out in the street calling for genocide. Yeah, kind and, of the reason I brought all this up is because, like, I, I think you hear both of it on both sides. I, I see, obviously, very clear cases where Israel is, uh, you know, mowing down people. Then I'll, then I'll watch videos where, like, there's a Palestinian father, and he's, he's telling the Israelis to shoot his, like, little kid. He's, like, telling his little tiny, like, two-year-old kid to, like, walk up to these soldiers, and he's telling the soldiers, shoot him, shoot him. So there's totally crazy stuff on both sides. I just, I, I, I'm just like against the funding. I'm not like, I don't even know what I think anymore. It's just so crazy. I mean, you know that that's his kid, not just some other kid for starters, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I can't, I, I've never like seen a video like that. If you got a link, you shoot over to me now. Yeah. I'll show you later. It was really it weird. I mean, just even if it wasn't his kid, just like, you know, it, I can see how on both sides at the least there's some people trying to do this for media attention. They're trying to create a story uh, on either side. I mean, my perspective of the situation is uh, it, there was a congressional hearing and Michael McPhee, who is uh, or McPherson, who heads Veterans uh, for Peace and uh, is an Army captain, talked about how he had spent time grieving with the families, you know, of his fallen soldiers and then of the Iraqis on the other side of the war. And it, I think he very powerfully put that the pain is the same. And so I, I can't imagine an American you know, father to walk, having, you know, like you picture in any inner city family whose family has been victimized by the police. I can't imagine that father to tell his, you know, son to walk up to the police saying, and then saying, shoot him, shoot him. You know, well, but, it's, hor it's horrible. I mean, but yeah. like we're talking about 70 years, like living on the edge and just trying to like get back to your home. Maybe would it go crazy at some point, 70 years or families just trying to get back to their homes. Why wouldn't you go? I would go crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good point as well. Well, here's a question I got for you, boss. Um, I mean, aren't all Palestinians members of Hamas? Then aren't they all terrorists? <laughs> I, I love that. Right, that anytime anything happens, I see a, a I, I post a video of a 14 year old kid with a rock in his hand, the size of his fist, and throwing it at a fence that's 50 meters away. And then that kid gets shot in the face by an Israeli sniper. And the the people who comment on it literally say, but Hamas, this kid was, a, you know, a, a Hamas or standing in for Hamas or this was Hamas propaganda. It's like it's a 14 year old kid that just got shot for throwing a rock like it, you can't deny the fats are what the fats are. And even if that kid was Hamas, it still wouldn't have made it right. Brainwashing's brainwashing. You can't blame the victim. Well, like what I, I saw, too, from an article right after the, the biggest part of the Gaza shooting when we declared our embassy in, in uh, Jerusalem. Yeah, everyone was like, yeah, this is nothing can happen in the Gaza Strip without Hamas's approval. So therefore, this protest is Hamas and it's terrorism. Wow. <laughs> You, you know what the other amazing thing is, and just to link back to the first topic we had, is that unlike the rest of you, uh, the charge I get the most is Nazi. And that's because when it comes to the Israel-Palestine thing, I say that the Palestinians are victims of the Israelis. 
and it, it's just so funny that like I get that charge and I ha- hold pretty much the same positions. So I'm sure almost everything else is all of you up here. And yet you all get the racism charge because you apparently hate people of color. And yeah, I stand up for him and I'm a Nazi. I mean, I get, I get Nazi yeah. too. My, I think my political affiliations are listed as Nazi cuck from all the things I get called from both sides. I mean, look, I, I, I have... I have people like I accidentally add them as friends. They truly are just against Jews. Like it has really nothing to be almost nothing to do with anti-Zionism. They are just against Jews. So there are those extremist types. I think it should be tried to brought more to light that being anti-Zionism isn't anti-Jew. It's kind of the opposite. Like if you really cared about Jews, wouldn't you want them to try to live peacefully side by side with other people versus being in this perpetual war? Well, and Paxton was saying that all these states now are taking actions at the state and I think state and federal level that uh, make it illegal to do business with anyone who criticizes Israel, like mm-hmm. any any of the businesses, and that is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, God's been going on about that for at least the past year. Yeah, and you got to understand the perspective of Christians too. Like when I told my father um, that I had trolled Madeleine Albright, the thing he said to me was, "Oh, she hates Israel." That was like that was like all he knew about her is like Madeleine Albright hates Israel. Maybe she does. I don't know. But uh, that you know. <laughs> That's that's kind of who he's against. It's just the people who are against Israel. But coming from a Christian family, it's kind of hard to not notice that many Jews don't like Christians. It, it's it's really challenging because, um, you know, like my mom, she doesn't know a lot of the information that I've heard about it. Like she doesn't know the details. She just kind of knows what the the line she hears in churches. Like you've got to support Israel because you know this. And so it's really hard to even have those conversations with her about why, you know, what they're, what they're doing may be not the greatest thing. Look, we just don't want the sand monkeys getting a hold of the place. <laughs> I hear that all the time in my neck of the woods. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. That's awkward. Well, well, I mean, people back home in north central Wisconsin, they don't know anything. To them, to them you know, an Arab is an Arab or... Well, you know, everyone that lives over there is an Arab to them or a towel head. And they're oh like, we should just bomb it to glass, kill them all. They're all fucking terrorists. You know, never. Ne- and they can't even tell you the difference between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. <laughs> well, isn't that yeah. the amazing thing that, like, the problem is, is that for whatever reason to most people in the United States, like, these people are a threat to us and so they're an inconvenience. And now we've been trying for, like, 15 years to solve a problem peacefully with them. And at this point, we just had to bomb them all. When if you really want to resolve the problem, all you got to do is leave. It's not like, you know, that there's this, like, pretense. And sometimes it, I think it's been, you know, kind of popularized by the right-wing Fox News, Sean Handy types that, like, there's some kind of, like, perpetual religious war between, you know, the, the Muslim world and the rest of the people of the world. And yet, you know, what? like, the teachings of, like, Islam are the same as any other religion. They vary from the very extreme to the, you know, moderate to the, you know, kind of, there's even, like, a Quaker-style, you know, I think it's Sufi version of Islam. And, and so, you know, while you do have the, like, you know, Wahhabi Salafist types that are, you know, find their religious rooting in the Quran, like, um, uh, you know, Al Qaeda or ISIS. The fact is, is that the United States, over the at least you know thirty or forty years, has probably on net supported those groups more than they have actually targeted them. And certainly, we have supported the uh, you know Arab Kingdom royal families like uh, the Al Saud family in uh, Saudi Arabia and the ruling family of the Emirates and uh, Bahrain. And these are you know some of the like strongest supporters of that kind of Islam. 
And so, uh, you know, we, we've kind of, if anything, if there are people who actually want to attack us because of the teachings of Islam, we've certainly made that become more true, not less true. Well, what do you guys think about, okay, so recently in the UK, there was a guy who he like put like a bacon sandwich outside a mosque. He was sentenced to death. Obviously, that's crazy, but nothing that happened recently, and Lauren Southern was talking about it. Tommy Robinson was reporting after some type of gang rape case, and he was taken in for breaching the peace. He was ran through a trial. They didn't give him a lawyer, nothing, just ran him through a trial, put him in prison for 13 months. And I don't know, what, what do you guys think about that? that, that that's, the only, that that's the reason why I say like I'm, I'm as equally anti-Islam as anti-Zionist, because I see this crazy stuff on both sides. Like this guy, was basically, he's basically sentenced to death because um, every time he's been in prison in the past, he's been beaten up. Um, in the courtroom, um, someone said that you're going to die in prison, and the judge is just like, "Oh, well, you know, you pretty much deserve this." You're doing. I, I wish it was anybody but Tommy Robinson because he's such an asshole. Like, I see. I don't. I don't know him. I just. I just heard like put in prison yeah. because he was reporting on a case. No, I, like, I, 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 I follow Sargon and Tim's, and there he's uh, definitely a, a player in the news that circles around them. He's a guy who goes out of his way to start shit. Um, he is your typical soccer hooligan type. He's been known to plant, like he's lied about stuff in the past, like Muslims fighting with him at events and stuff. Even the, that event that they just had, he ended up getting a pro-Muslim speaker kicked out of that free speech event by one of his entourage basically starting a fight with this guy. Um, even Sargon went out on stage and said, this is bullshit, this guy should have been able to talk. Um, so it's like... <sighs> If it had been anybody else, it might mean more. It might be more of an obvious thing. But this is a guy who literally for the past, what, five years has made it his career to go out and start shit um, with the Muslim community. In, in yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about the guy other than, like, you know, reading the case. It, it seems absurd either way that he got sentenced to prison. But, yeah, within, I mean, within the day, I, he was put away for 13 months. And for him, because of the level of uh, Muslim inmates in English prison, because of all the shit they've had going on he will likely die because well, the, weirdest, his, the weirdest thing is they say they say what he was doing and like that guy that left the bacon sandwich outside the mosque they say it's an attack against the uk what does that even mean well your mate london's mayor is fucking very militant muslim hmm. i didn't know that. <laughs> i don't know anything about you ever. it's an attack against the new uk like did yeah. you did you see that uh that advertisement that was like, this is the new UK, and it was a bus just full of migrants. I don't even think there was a white person on the bus. You know what advertisement I'm talking about? I don't, but it sounds obvious. Yeah. What do you think about this all, Kyle? Like, have you ever heard of this Tommy Robinson guy? Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of the guy. It sounds like uh, there was that woman in, in Texas a couple years ago, <coughs> and uh, she was holding like some draw uh, Mohammed event. And, it, you know, it was in order to provoke, uh, you know, somebody, you know, to threaten to come out and shoot in, uh, shoot up and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't agree with the shooter stuff. And um, and at the same time, you know, these people are clearly you know, racist and are trying to, like, be mean to Muslims. Right. Like, that's their goal. No, they don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to be shot. They don't deserve to be in prison. I really don't care about them just because, uh, you know, they're probably quite it's like it's why I say anybody but Tommy and I would feel a lot differently about it. He's he's tied in with the whole rebel media, Lauren Southern community. Well, what, what's right. going to be, I, I, what's going to what's going to be the reality of it if he does die? Is that going to you know spark nothing? Nothing. It's okay. going to be nothing. <laughs> it's, it's literally like at this point, in my opinion, 
like that part of the world is just so far gone on the socialist end of things that it's going to do nothing. It's well, going to continue. They were saying the, the UK going. was trying to hide it. Like that's kind of like why they ran them through the trial so fast. Just well, yeah, you're not allowed to talk about it. Mention oh, yeah, anything about it in the news over there. Like you will yeah, have yeah. your accounts taken away. They, they Lauren, Lauren Southern was saying like, if you retweet me, you could go to jail. It's like, Jesus. Yeah. They were really, really open about that legally. Wow. And that's the thing. Nothing he did was illegal, by the way. He was, it's strictly because of the way they, they don't want to inflame Muslim relations in the country that they have. They don't let you talk about it the same way you're like up in uh, Sweden. They, you're not allowed to mention race and police reports anymore because they don't want those numbers showing up. That's, that's the same thing in France. It's the same thing in England, like all those European countries, they're trying to keep it from becoming an obvious thing that all these people we just let in are a problem. But we can't have anti-Muslim sentiments because that's just not woke. Crazy. I wish I knew a little bit more about how criminal procedure works in the UK. I would assume it's relatively similar. Like I know that the UK signed on to the the EU Declaration of Human Rights, and that's kind of what functions as their Bill of Rights now. I mean, imagine that. Your fundamental founding document, your fundamental Charter of Liberties... Is a fu- isn't even your own fucking national charter of liberties. It has well, to be part of the, you know. Don't some people argue they should go back to like the Magna Carta or something like that? They, I mean, they should. Well, the, <laughs> the problem with the Magna Carta is that like, it's well, one, it's not modern, and two, it it was more of a product of their grievances against King John than anything. But the the thing with the UK is that they don't have a written constitution. They do have a constitution. It's just not written. So obviously, Tommy he he did he wasn't allowed a lawyer, and he was ran right through. Like in the U.S., even for like the worst criminals, does that ever happen? Under a day, he was locked up for thirteen months in yeah. hours. Just yeah. boom, they sequestered him away, and bam, shipped him off. Scary. All right, <laughs> if I could interject for a moment, yeah, please. I've only read headlines, but I thought I saw something about he already had like probation or some other kind of uh restrictions on what he could or could not do and so once he got in trouble with the law he was going to get the book thrown at him so it wasn't so much the act that he did but that it violated his parole or something like that and that's why they were able to railroad him but i don't know it's just i'm looking at it right now the universal declaration on human rights sorry to cut you off daniel you need some talking time (laughs) uh here it is that makes a lot of sense, Daniel, that it would be like a parole violation kind of thing just because I've, you know, a Western court, somebody getting rammed through in a day. I mean, those well, things are usually. And, that, and that's, why it's, like, that's why I said anybody but him and this would be a, a more egregious thing. But he he does. He has a history. He's now granted the history he has is also a history of being bullshitted like the things that they get him on are pretty ludicrous like uh, there's a corner in uh, england that anyone's supposed to go to and speak their mind say whatever they want he has been arrested for hate speech in that place that is a history within london of actually being you you can say whatever the hell you want racist or otherwise but because it's him they'll haul him away to jail for shit like that he i i I 100 believe he is a hateful individual so if it was anybody else, I would care more. But it does point out something that I don't care if if it is like parole. In the states, you break parole, you're going to be out for a week, and then eventually they're going to get around to putting you through the system. This was just very 
blatantly insane. Yeah. Well, I know I I do know that in the U.S., if you like, if you get a parole violation or a probation violation, you'll have a PV hearing in front of the judge, and you can either choose to like admit or deny the alleged violations. And so, if you admit it, you just execute your sentence right away. And then if you don't admit it, you get a contested PV hearing. So that's how it works in the United States. And you have an attorney present. And like looking right here, there is a right to a fair trial. But perhaps in the UK, there isn't a right to be represented on PV by, you know, PVs. It's also possible when they got into court, he chose martyrdom. It could be. He's the kind of guy that would do that. It could be. Yeah. If it means taking down the Muslims, he would absolutely probably sign himself up for death. Yeah, crazy. Anything else on that, Daniel? No, that's that's the extent of the information I have just from reading the headlines and nothing more than that. Well, you take it then. You We haven't had the mic to you in a while, so. Well, let's see. I'm going to plug my, my other stuff then real quickly. So I think upcoming we're going to have a boys' night out with Jack D. Lloyd and Shaheen talking about Deadpool, our Deadpool episode and both Robert and Shaheen and Jack V. Lloyd of the Voluntarius comic are all going to be talking about Deadpool 2 on that. And so we're going to release that, I think, Tuesday, uh, June 5th. And that will be a 6 p.m. Pacific time start. So I'll plug that. So look for that in, in like a week and a half. should be really, really fun. And I'll pass it back to Patrick. Yeah. I don't have too much going on. I haven't even I haven't really been following the news too much. Um I had a great episode about the the gambling laws, how the Supreme Court So from from 1933 until 1990, the Supreme Court did not strike down a federal law under the the 10th Amendment. So from that time, the Supreme Court is supposed to, you know, protect and limit federal power. So from that time, they never did. But since then, the 10th Amendment has been taken as more, uh, it's been more protective. We've had more conservative decisions in the Supreme Court since the 90s. And um, this decision states that the federal government cannot prevent the states from making something legal, which is huge. So this is a big win. I I would not prefer it to have gone through the Supreme Court because I don't like the Supreme Court. And I think they have way too much power. Um, but this is a win for the Tenth Amendment. So basically, I think um, I forgot the justice that authored the opinion, but he was stating that basically it would it would be as if the federal government could place agents in in the state legislature and prevent them physically from voting on something. So that violates the anti commandeering clause. Pretty cool stuff. Fancy. <laughs> Yeah, I can plug what I've been doing last week. So I just read uh, Discrimination Disparities by Thomas Sowell. Highly recommend that book because I probably read it in about like four hours. I mean, I read fast, but um, it's just straight facts. Like the way he writes, um, he writes two sentence paragraphs, but just imagine like every single word in that paragraph has meaning. It's just like, I don't know how he does it. I really, really try to like imitate his writing as much as I can because he's just a really, really special writer. I can't, I can't name any writer that writes like Thomas Sowell. Like, obviously, Murray Rothbard kind of um, wrote after H.L. Mencken. That was his style. But I don't know who Thomas Sowell uh, writes after. Genius. 
It's up, it's up when he's being a commie on some things, buddy. He's pretty, you know, <laughs> on everything, um, most things economics, he's very good. He he usually doesn't talk about foreign policy that much. And like the things he's bad on, he doesn't talk about that much, thankfully. So, uh, but so my point was, I'm, I'm covering every chapter of the book. Um, I'm going to be, after we end this, I'm going to go record chapter three. And that talks about uh, sorting and unsorting people. So he's just talking about how, you know, people live in clustered groups, you know, throughout history when they immigrated. Like he talks about how, uh, 6% of the Spanish population was in two provinces, providences, and like 60-something percent of the immigrants to Argentina were from that 6%. So the disparities are crazy. Um, he points out things like, say, like Italians immigrating to the U.S., you'd often find that not only were there Italian neighborhoods, the neighborhoods were usually specific to where people actually came from Italy. So if they came from like Sicily, they might, you know, have uh, an area where all the people are from Sicily. It's just kind of funny how people sort themselves, as, as he puts it. That's what I'm doing. Had a lot of good feedback on it so far. Well, I think Mance Rader was talking with a fellow New Yorker about that. And it was interesting because one thing they talked about was how the guy who planned the streets in New York City, the city planner, was a racist, like a eugenicist racist. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in in certain minority areas, the, the street would literally, like, you couldn't walk straight on a street because it would get blocked. Right. And, like, the entire layout of the city was meant to sequester certain types of people into certain neighborhoods. Yeah, basically what he's talking about is, look, private businesses don't discriminate, you know, reasonably. They could discriminate. Maybe there would be one shop that'd be popular for being, like, the white-only store. But in general, um, you know... It, what he talks about is like most transportation used to be private before it was government. So most blacks and whites would sit up, sit by each other on the bus. But after the government came in and started segregating everything, I mean, it was really the government that, that did all this. Like if you're in business, you have a, a tendency to want to make a profit. You don't want to go under or like, you know, be hated or like have people break your windows. Like you want to make profit. So what, 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 you, half what of your base? Yeah. <laughs> So even if it means hiring black people, like if, if you're greedy, you will hi- you will hire people that um, you can pay less or whatever. I mean, it's just kind of obvious. But before we're done, can we talk about secession? I do love secession. Okay. There's a libertarian crowd that doesn't approve of secession. And I'm sure you've heard it before. The argument goes, you know, secession just creates another government and we can't be for that. The only type of secession that we can have is individualized secession. So someone take that. You got something over there, Daniel? You're looking like you're on your edge of your seat waiting for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say I try to be as principled as I can, and so I advocate for total secession on the individual level, but I think any individual or any um, breaking apart of a larger governmental entity might be a step in the right direction. However, there can be secessions where you're actually creating a more socialist or more Marxist type position that's going to enslave more people. So like, for example, uh, if California were to secede, it's because they want even more progressive policies and more terrible, (laughs) terrible things. And I would feel bad for the people who are trapped in those geographic areas that would be involved in that because they would actually get on net less liberty than they have now. But it's also an interesting experiment because then you could see, okay, uh, I think Jeff Dice talked about this in in a recent talk, uh, maybe like two months ago. He's like, why should people in California and people in New York or 
Georgia or wherever be tied politically? What if they want to go and do their own thing and try to do even more, you know, free healthcare and pro socialist type nonsense? Go ahead, try it. You know, what? Don't drag me into it. And so, in that respect, yeah, I think that um, it can be a good thing. And making decentralization that is a step in the right direction, but it can also lead to a certain pocket of even worse conditions. So I think just being cognizant of that, but I would always advocate personally for what I consider techno agorism, like making yourself as free from the state as possible on your own terms and your family's terms. So I'll pass it back to Nick. Cause I think you're ready to go here. I look ready to go. My, like, see my teeth bared. Um, well, I think in the, if this is referencing the thing that I think it's referencing, one thing that I, we really need to be thinking of when we start addressing the whole liberty at a global scale thing, we need to then take into consideration the understanding of our actual legal system that other people have. Um, I think in the, the the case that we talked about earlier in the week. I don't think that the gentleman really truly understands how much government there truly is because in his world, he lives in a state that's smaller than most of the counties in the U S meanwhile, we live in a place that has a town government, a a county government, a state government, a region government, all the way up to a federal government. Like there's so many layers of government that just, you're not creating new government. You are literally only changing how, close to the foci you are with what that government controls. And I don't think that Europeans really have a good sense of that because the world, like their country is not the vast thing that ours is. Maybe they have a little bit more of a concept of it with the, the uh, Eurozone, but even in that, like the Eurozone I think is still smaller than the entirety of the U S with actual less layers of government that exist within it. I, th- I think you're exactly right. And this is what I wanted to touch on, too, is that this claim that secession creates a new government, right? No. Cre- uh, secession is a divestment of power from the whole to a smaller unit. It's not like we're taking virgin territory that was ungoverned and now imposing a government on it. We are divesting the power from the top closer to the bottom, right? So... As an example, the United States, I, you know, territories got together, people organized, and then in the state, maybe such as Wisconsin, Wisconsin was organized. I was youth Wisconsin, but Wisconsin was organized as a territory, and then they applied for statehood in 1848, and they were accepted to the United States of America. While divesting the power and rescinding that acceptance, rescinding the acceptance of statehood, and bringing it back down to Wisconsin as a political entity does not create the state of Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin was already there. It was governed. You know, now we're taking that power that was granted to the federal and divesting it back to a closer unit. I don't think, yeah. And that's the thing. It's for for the model of what he was describing makes sense. You'd have to not have state governments right now. It would have to be, just creating a government at the state level because it's smaller than that. Well, no, the state government already exists. You're just saying, I'm not going to listen to the national government anymore. And, you know, vice versa, all the way down the line, you're not creating anything. You're just simply moving power from one thing that already exists to another thing that already exists. And don't get me wrong. 
I'm all about getting it down to the individual like anybody else. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I want personal liberty for everyone, but you can't, uh, I don't think that's really a manageable idea <laughs> is mean, in our position. I, I think California is a good example because their secession isn't just based on the fact that they want to separate. It's that uh, Southern California has all the political power. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe in the North. Like you, I forget how many representatives they have in the North versus the South. The South has multiple times more representatives. So whatever the South votes they get for the whole state, um, there's a very uh, reasonable argument for secession there at the least, right? I mean, I think secession should be allowed anywhere, but in California, like, yeah, you're basically hostages in North California. <laughs> it's all, all the leftist policies. Well, I grew up in uh, the upstate New York. New York City literally makes all of the political decisions for an entire state. Right. None of those people have ever seen what you live with in the rest of the state, but they make all of the decisions. Yeah. And that's why there's been a big secessionist movement within New York State for years just to make the city its own fucking thing like DC. You're your own state. Make your own decisions. Well, it's yeah. like don't don't consider me part of this government if I have no say. <laughs> like, like you're making you're, you're I get it you live in a penthouse out in Manhattan. You don't get to decide what's appropriate governmentally for a bunch of farmers that live in the fucking middle of nowhere. Never seen New York City. I think it's very implausible that government can be consensual, but yeah, I mean, in a situation like that is literally non-consensual. You have no say. <laughs> Does secession violate the NAP? And I'll, that's a question I want to pose, but I wanted to talk about uh, something else first is that Mises framed it differently. Mises framed secession differently, saying that if there's a group of people that want to politically break away from a state, <laughs> would it be moral to use violence to prevent them from doing so? That is what the question we're asking when we pose secession, right? I'll frame it that way, but I'll pose the question to you guys. Maybe Kyle, because we haven't heard from Kyle in a little bit. Like, does secession violate the NAP? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a debate around the time of the Catalonian secession, and they were saying, well, what they're voting for in Catalonia is to secede, and create their own state. However, there's a, a number of people within Catalonia uh, that would rather remain a part of this Spanish state. And, you know, which way is violence being enforced on the other party here is nearly impossible to tell. But it seems that since, you know, most people are going out and voting, you know, that's just the way and the only way to really decipher here as to who's who and what's what. So, you know, I, I don't see secession as being a violation of the NAP. It's not always a good thing, uh, but at the same time, you also have to look at the huge benefit of breaking up the state. Imagine what losing California does to the federal government of the United States of America. Uh, I don't know how much tax revenue comes from that state, but I think it's like the world's eighth largest economy or something on its own, uh, some ridiculous stat like that. And so that now suddenly uh, the, the wars can't be funded uh, a lot of the welfare, welfare programs can't be funded. I imagine that the U.S. bonds look an awful lot, in, lot interesting to investors uh, without, you know, California in play. So um, you know, also, even at times when, you know, it may not on its face bring net freedom to the people that are seceding, it, it still may be a good thing on that. Okay. I mean, I, I think what would make it an NAP violation or what, what's an NAP violation? It's when you aggress against somebody first, right? So say you're a country trying to secede and the other country saying like, Hey, like if you try to secede, we're going to come attack you. Would it be an NAP violation to attack 
them first so you can succeed? That's I guess that's the real question. On the face of it, it does seem like, yes, just if someone says they're going to do something and you aggress against them first, are you the aggressor? That's very complicated. Uh, I would actually say it's not that complicated. And the reason I would say is because in what you're talking about, you're talking about these people as a collective. And by definition, the, the NAP isn't against collectives of people. It's against individuals. Um, those people have the rights to move. They have the rights to secede from whatever luck, group you have. Like they, have, they can always secede away from what you're creating. They have that right as well. Um, I don't think at any point does it become a NAP violation. They can always reconstitute what they get the way that they want to reconstitute it. They have the right just as you, you have the right to not partake in that. Well, like I said, let's say, let's say you're about to secede and the other side says, hey, we're going to attack you if you secede tomorrow. Would it be an NAP violation to attack them so they couldn't attack you? I think credibility of the threat would have to play in there. If, like, let's say Catalonia says we're seceding tomorrow. The last time that happened, Spanish police came in and beat a bunch of old women, children, and firefighters. So, yeah, they have a you know right to defend themselves because it's definitely the case. Now, right. if, you know, some member, let's say there's, like, some little hamlet of uh, Belgium or Germany that wants to secede, and some you know, member of parliament who really doesn't have any power says, if you secede, we're, you know, we're going to bring the force of the government down on you. And then they go and burn down all the police stations and kill all the cops. Well, you know, there, there has to be credibility to the threat. And, you know, if the threats come in and the police are all armored up in their body armor and have their tanks and they're ready to come out in the street and get you, then yeah, you don't have to wait for them to shoot you first. Yeah, I mean, I'm a thin libertarian down the line, I believe, in the NAP, but then there's the fact of what are people actually going to do when they think they're under threat? Uh, you know, they might not be thinking about the NAP at the time. They might be thinking about, okay, I want to, you know, if they're going to attack me tomorrow, i got to figure something out. I can't just be passive. So, I mean, there, there's, like, believing in the NAP and then, like, what are you going to do in, like, that kind of situation? Well, I mean, I guess my question I want to ask is, is the people that want secession, they're being held hostage. They're they're being aggressed against by yeah, default. They're being so, forced they're being forced into a society they don't want to be a part of. The, yeah, that's the aggression. So anything after that point is just dealing with the initial threat. Well, then we could look at um American secession, you know, in the in the uh the war to prevent southern secession. Um I know a lot, a lot of things have been said about that and and everything, so everything from our school days, our elementary school days and growing up in the public school system, oh, the South started the war, right? The South started the war. Well, Bullshit. yeah, the, the North was occupying Fort Sumter, which is an act of war. And we warned, or not we, but the South warned them, get out of our fort or else we're going to bombard you. You're illegally, aggressively occupying it. So, I, yeah, that was just my anecdote from history. I mean, that war is illegal just in the way it was fought, if nothing else. Yeah. You don't get to burn the entire South to the ground and say, oh, too bad you can't fight anymore, guys. <laughs> That's just inhumane at its core level. I would like to have faith that Americans wouldn't, that if it ever came down to that, if certain parts of America wanted to break away, I would have to have faith that, faith that the federal government and the U.S. Army would not go and do that. They will. They will. Try. They will. Well, this is what we talked about in your live stream earlier today, Pat, was, yeah. you know, I was kind of pointing out that there's actually been a case in the history where the states were allowed to secede, and that was the USSR under Gorbachev. 
he allowed all those other states to break off and balkanize and uh that you know prevent it who knows i mean the red army was still capable and big at the time i mean it certainly could have kept in you know Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, and Romania, and all these other states for years if they had chosen. And I mean, there were some real losses. I mean, Ukraine left with Crimea uh, prior to the you know USSR forming. The Crimean Peninsula was actually part of Russia, and so you know there there was nuclear weapons that end up in the hands of other states, and, and yet they allowed this to happen. But I have to run, guys. Uh, you know, check out foreignpolicyfocus.libsyn.com or libertarianinstitute.org. And uh, I'll have show 200 coming out on Wednesday, 201 on Friday. Uh, and a lot of great guests on the show this week, so I appreciate it so much. Thanks, everyone. And hey. I got to actually head out myself. I think my band is here and have been too polite to let me know they're here. So, <laughs> hey, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks so much, Stephen. All right, see you guys. Peace, guys. So, I, I have one last question for y'all before I hop off here. What is a good chicken breast baking recipe? Temperature, temperature and time. I got my seasonings. I'm just I, I'm gonna try baking some chicken breast. So if you guys got any ideas, I'm gonna try it. My wife is across the street right now. She's so. the one that asked. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> I need some protein in my body. <laughs> yeah, right. No, she's she's great at that. I don't have anything though. <laughs> what about you, Dan? I uh, throw it on the grill, hot, hot it up. Flip it after like five minutes. You know, chicken breast takes fucking forever to do on the grill. That's why, like, it takes me like forty-five minutes to cook that shit. I don't know why. Like, it just takes forever to get the middle cooked. So I'm gonna try baking it today. <laughs> no, I think it's they, status chicken breast. She usually bakes it. So yeah, well, you know, Google Google's your friend when it comes to this. Oh, I mean, I trust you guys more than Google, man. So. You should. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I think this is a good state of the libertarian union. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I do know is that you cook it until the juice coming out is clear. If it's still like, yeah. interesting. Wait, I thought the juice, or maybe I don't know. Until <laughs> the, the coin, until the juice come out of the chicken breast. Yeah, there's like you know fluid in there. Racist stand talking about juice and chicken breasts. Well, that's interesting. Oh, oh, that yeah. Well, <laughs> got me. Uh, let's discuss really abstract economic <laughs> principles, but yet we can't cook a fucking. <laughs> I don't specialize in that. I, that's the division of labor. I got a wife, and she knows how to cook the food, albeit sometimes not great, usually pretty good. I know. She's <laughs> she's going to really give me some shit for this. But anyway. Does she uh, content? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It's been fun. Yeah, this this has been fun. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining. And, and, Pat, I guess you and I can just close this whole thing out, right? Yeah, that sounds good. I, I think I gave my show plugs already. So libertyweekly.net, um, some good shit there. Check it out. Fourpeaceandliberty.com for me. Check out my apps that I put out later. You guys will love it. Um, see you guys later. Yeah. All right, yeah, and actualanarchy.com and lastnighters.com and, of course, libertarianunion.com where you can find all of the shows, even more than just who you saw today participating. What do we got, like 15 people now? It's great. So check it out, everyone. I'm going to screen share before we go to the end so everyone can see what we're talking about. And uh, here it is. Yeah. Libertarian Union. No step on snake. (laughs) (laughs) No step on snake. (laughs) All right. Sounds good, guys. Okay. All right. See you guys. Talk to you later.